This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 12, Episode 4. This is Writing Excuses, Hybrid Viewpoints. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Piper. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. Piper, thank you for being on our podcast. Yay! Thank you for having me. Piper is going to be one of our guest hosts all year. And so you'll be able to hear a whole ton from Piper. And are you going on the cruise again this year? I'm planning on it. Excellent. So you can go on the cruise and you can meet Piper and bring your books to get signed and ask her questions. Uh, She's going to be helping us out um, all of the fourth week episodes this year on Writing Excuses. And Piper, will you tell us about yourself? Sure. There's all sorts of stuff. But to go short, I am an author of Romantic Suspense, as well as having an Brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you, you have two names that you I publish do. under. Um, so I, I also known as PJ Schneider. Though we're thinking about archiving PJ Schneider. Mm, okay. We're gonna figure that out over the course of the year. It'll be an experiment. Um, but PJ Schneider wrote uh, sci-fi and paranormal romance, steampunk, and urban fantasy. Whereas as Piper, I write Piper. Piper, suspense. what? We haven't said your last name yet. Piper J. Drake. There we go. And we invited Piper, number one, because she's awesome. Thank you. Um, But also because we felt it very important to have a romance writer join us on the podcast. I have consistently been been impressed by the romance writers. They know their stuff. Oh, romance writers are Yeah, there's a reason that it is the best-selling genre in America. So we are excited to have Piper, and I'm going to dive us into our topic this week, which is hybrid viewpoints. These are times where you do something a little weird, which we all like to do. Um, We are science fiction and fantasy writers, after all. Uh, We take a first person, and we're not satisfied with that. We add a third person. Or we take a third person, we add a first person. And I'm going to talk us through, and we're going to talk about a few different methods we've seen this done. And the one I see very frequently is what we call a frame story. Uh, What is a frame story? A frame story is something like Frankenstein which is told, you know, we start with someone sitting in a room or writing a letter saying, well, dearest whoever, let me tell you the tale of what happened to me, blah. And then the rest of the story is that. And every now and then it comes back. Princess Bride is a really good example of this because we're getting the grandfather reading the little boy a story, but most of the movie, most of the book is just the story. And every now and then we cut back out. Another good example is 1001 Arabian Nights. Very classic example. Shahrazad is telling a story for each night of her life. And um, more contemporary, which I found interesting, Jimmy Buffett's A Salty Piece of Land (laughs) is so hysterical. But I would call it a frame story because it's just this retelling of the fact that he's working on a lighthouse on this random island and how he got there and all of these crazy shenanigans and stories all along the way. Yeah, technically, The Hobbit hasn't. It's like only a few sentences. Yeah, uh, allegedly. The big one is Name of the Wind in uh, epic fantasy yeah. right now. Well, and Name of the Wind is the one that I love because the fact that it's a frame story makes the narrative part explicitly, I am telling you this story. Yeah. And the audiobook is longer than the amount of time the story actually takes to tell. 
which is so cool. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's funny. Um, we, uh, several season episodes, whatever, before we did the uh, uh, project in depth on uh, uh, Schlock Mercenary Parallel Perspectives, mm-hmm. where uh, there's a framing story around the fact that these people are each sharing their version of what happened. And, and I love that one. It I turned love, out so I, well. I love that one. I love that one too. And the framing story, it's important to recognize with framing stories, as you're talking about hybrid viewpoints, that there has to be a good reason to do it. Okay, let's talk about that then. And Why? For me, the reason was I can't do the perspective shift and tell the story I want to tell, which is about the way things are perceived without taking a step back and framing the discussion of perception. Yeah, in that Mm -hmm. one, you were able to characterize each of the people telling their version of the story quite directly and interestingly in a way you never could have done otherwise. Well, yeah, using the using the visual tools that uh, typically aren't available yes. to, to you writers. get to cheat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just different an, uh, people did different styles of, of yeah. cartoon I, I want, illustration. I want a superhero yeah. illustration mm-hmm. for this one. I want a Frank Miller esque stark yeah. black and white for this. And we got the artist who did the My Little Pony comics to do a My Little Pony esque version. For and one wasn't one. it the giant elephant? It was the, it was the yeah. giant, story that the got giant the angry elephant pony. one. All right. Yeah. And it's great. Well, and and I was going to say kind of the godfather of that particular kind of storytelling where you are playing with perception is Rashomon, mm. which is a movie by uh, Akira Kurosawa, where that is the point is let's see the same story from all these different points of view. Howard did it as storytelling in a bar um, and Rashomon did it as let's get uh, witnesses to give their version of this murder and things like that. So that can be a really compelling way to uh, to do it. I've done framing mm-hmm. in the past, and I actually did it as PJ Schneider in my London Undead series. So in Survive to Dawn, there's the zombie apocalypse, and you have werewolves hunting zombies in London, trying to protect the human population that's still stuck behind the quarantine line in London. And um, I ended up taking a diary, and that was the frame story, is reading into the diary in a sister's of the character's um, handwriting to find out why or what triggered the zombie apocalypse. So this relates very closely to story within a story, which we'll move into next. But first, I kind of want to talk about this idea of, I think one of the great things with a story within a story or a frame story is it allows you to establish an untrustworthy narrator Mm -hmm. very easily. You can say, I am now opening this book to tell you this story, um, and you can pull out of it to occasionally cast doubt on things that happened in the story or to give more information, both of which make the story less authoritative Mm -hmm. and give you this power like Name of the Wind is a great example of this. Um, Every time we pull out and Quoth is talking, you're like, oh, he's just kind of talking through his life. He may not remember this all very well, or he may be lying about certain things. And that adds a new dimension to the story by making the third person narrative the authoritative one, this is what's actually happening, and the first person untrustworthy, you get a really cool dynamic. And there's another reason to do this, and it happens all the time in video game writing. Uh, the Bethesda games, uh, the Oblivion, and yes. uh, those, those games, perfect example of this, because you are telling a story of you on a quest. You are going and doing things, and every so often, you will find journals, you will find books that will tell you things 
in many cases, about this quest you are on. You are getting the story of the person who turned into a werewolf that you're going to have to kill at the end of the story. Um, and it is, it's, it's fun because there's this little micro-tragedy of this person who made a horrible mistake. And then there's your grand, you know, 80-hour adventure, which is a framing story for dozens of these. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The mini-games, Kingdom Hearts does mm-hmm. mini-games really incredibly well. And again, that's backstory. Almost every world that Sora visits, there's backstory on the character and what happened then. And there's cutscenes because of the visual aspect of that, that entertainment. And you get a side story, but it's important to moving forward with the overall arc. Yeah. Now, video games is a great lead into a point I wanted to make. Another reason to use a frame story is because you want the, the, the real or one of the real stories you're trying to tell is in the frame and everything else is actually backstory to it. And Assassin's Creed is the one that reminded mm-hmm. me of yeah. this, where you're all, you know, most of the game takes place in the past, but it's actually a frame that's set in a virtual reality machine in the future. Um, another story that does this brilliantly is the Hyperion books by Dan Simmons, which I adore. Oh, That's yeah. basically kind of, you know, the Chaucer Canterbury Tales idea, except we're getting all of these travelers' little stories. In each book, there's the Hyperion and Hyperion, whatever the second one's called. Um, each one covers three or four frame stories within the larger frame. And the point is that each one of those is giving us more and more background until we get to the big reveal at the end of the second book that the entire frame has been building toward. I love stories within a story. Um, this is like, I have storyteller character who goes between all of my worlds and is telling stories from mythology in different worlds on worlds and things like this, just really cool things. I love the flavor it gives when the, I love stories. So when my characters love stories, it feels authentic <laughs> to me and real. It allows me to, I think, make my characters stronger because of what they love. That I feel the same way. That's why in the Parallel Perspectives story, I got chills when I was writing General Tagon saying, no, stop, you're telling that wrong. Yeah. Start at the beginning, and he hands them a drink. <laughs> and oh, it's, I love that because that's, <laughs> we as people, we are storytellers. And a framing story, for me, a framing story humanizes everybody in the book. What this is reminding me of, this isn't really a frame story, but if we're transitioning into story within a story, uh, the Watchmen series mm-hmm. has the pirate thing yeah. going on in the background. And that, like you said, your characters love stories. The pirate thing is just in a world where superheroes are real, the comic books they read are about pirates because yeah. that's what they've decided to fill that gap with. And so as you read Watchmen, which is this long series, each kind of issue ends with this little kind of pirate thing serialized which is, story which is really cool it's really cool and it's a metaphor it's and that's the other thing it is yeah you, you can't you got to be careful in this it's easy to be a little <laughs> heavy-handed but if you haven't mm-hmm. read watchmen um it's a story of a character who builds his life raft from a ship that crashes out of the corpses of his friends who died in order to get away and if you read watchmen building upon the corpses um, your own survival mm-hmm. is a big metaphor and theme, but it's so subtle yeah. that it's kind of... Well, it's subtle, and it, and it works because both stories are interesting. Yes. The superhero one is, and the pirate one is, and if you're an English major, you could put it together and go, aha. <laughs> I think also the story within a story concept gives you the opportunity to pull cultures together 
and mm. merge them. Like Carol Severance did it really wonderfully in a sci-fi novel called Reef Song. And I fell in love with this years and years ago. This is not a recent release. And the concept was just that we had colonized a mostly ocean colon, uh, planet um, called Lestat. And the people there, um, you had your overall governing um, governance or federate corporate um, owners of the planet. And then you had people who had come from all different Polynesian cultures coming to the islands on the planet to make new lives for themselves. And they developed their own culture and they pulled stories within stories um, from their heritage, from all the different Polynesian heritage, and kind of made a new, A, they genetically created a new generation. And that mm. new generation made up a new story of how, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Lestat, um, an octopus god, came and moved from Earth to the new planet and how he decided to do it. And the entire story within a story of telling how he came was really wonderful to build how these people had come to make a new life for themselves. So that was, it yeah, really drew me into awesome. the novel. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Though it's not technically our book of the week this week. <laughs> no, not technically. <laughs> not technically, because Absolute Trust is technically our book of the week. It is. But I bet you could read them both. Tell us about Absolute, Absolute Trust. So Absolute Trust is a bit of a genre change. It is romantic suspense. It is the third book in my True Hero series, which features ex-military veterans. Um, well, kind of redundant there. Ex-military uh, heroes who have uh, started a kennel to build new lives for themselves. And they train military working dogs. Um, in particular, Absolute Trust is the culmination where we get to meet the actual kennel owner and his longtime childhood sweetheart, who he left to go to the military, never explained why. And now someone's trying to blow up Sophie. And so he's got to make sure she survives. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, so let's take this a little bit of a different direction, cover one more topic on this, flashbacks. I don't know if we can do flashbacks Flashbacks Justice. Um, boy, I'm, I'm batting a thousand today on my pronunciation. Um, I don't know if we can do flashbacks well. Flashbacks are hard because every writing teacher I have ever had has yeah. said they're really hard to do well, just don't bother with them. And Which I don't know if I've advice. ever used one. Um, it's terrible advice. I used because one in the, uh, uh, the first uh, Flight of the Rune Rite story. Mm. Uh, there's a moment where he has been overcome by the magical insanity stuff, and he has a memory. You know, he remembers an event that drops a drops a puzzle piece in place for us. Um, it's short. I changed tense. I went from first person present tense to first person uh, past tense uh, in order to illustrate it. Um, and and but that transition, you know, it was, it was within the within the. Bounds of a short story, I stuck a you know a little bitty flashback, and it worked fine. So let's let's talk here. Just let's talk about the advantages of flashbacks. We will put the warning on; they are hard to do. 
readers get a little get tired of them if particularly if you do them poorly. They get bored. They're like, oh no, why couldn't you just do this in the story? This well, has to be concise. Yeah. What makes them work, and why do we include them even though they're hard to use? Well, because. Okay, so what I'm thinking of right now is I just read uh, Nexus by Ramez Nam, which is awesome. And there's a, a one of the two main characters in there. Um, she has some horrible past. And throughout the book, there are hints as to what that past is. And when we get to the part where she actually tells us, it's done kind of story, sort of as a flashback. It's a story within a story where she's telling him, but it's done very narratively flashback style. And the reason that that works is because it's a, it's a whole chapter. It's pages and pages and pages. And if that was just her saying, and then I did this, and then I did this, it wouldn't have the impact of being there in the moment, seeing an awful thing happen to her and watching her react to it. I think one of the things to think about when you're about to do a flashback is why do people have flashbacks in reality? The most effective ones that I've seen or I've managed to use myself are ones that are inciting a visceral response. This is a flashback that's happened that's given someone PTSD mm. or given them a trauma of some sort, or even it's a happy, happy moment that they have to summon up to be able to deal with the present. And so using a flashback for that reason, even if it's a micro flashback of just a line or two lines and really tight and concise can be incredibly effective. But that's, it, Yeah, that's excellent advice. I, I agree with that whole yeah, thing. The, the wrong reason to do a flashback is, oh, I forgot to tell you. Yeah, or <laughs> about this, this part is boring, so I won't start my book with that. Yeah, I'm going to put it someplace else. I will put else. it someplace else. Yeah. Um, anytime you're like, this is too boring, I'll, then you should be aware. Yeah. Though, I will point out the Stormlight Archive, um, my best-selling series, is a flashback series in that I start five characters um, at a, an event, and then they are going on with their lives, and each book flashes back to show how they all got to the beginning of the book, uh, the first book. And so I deeply use flashback. There's there's something like 18 in the current <laughs> book, um, and there are most of them are full chapters of flashback. And I like this as a nonlinear storytelling method. A straight chronological story often you really have to shoehorn things in order to get the narrative arc that's going to give you the maximum emotional effect. And a flashback is a great tool for reordering some of these elements so that you've queued up the emotional effects for the right place in the arc. All right, well, I'm going to call this one here, though. I think we could probably keep talking on flashbacks forever. Uh, we have talked about them before on Writing Excuses, so you can go through the archives and find those. Um, and I'm going to give us some homework because I want you to try a frame story. I want you to take a story you've already written, and I want you to set that with a, a next level of context. Somebody is telling that story, and you're not going to change the story you've written at all. You are going to add a frame story, something at the beginning and the end, either in a first-person narrative or a third-person narrative, um, where you give context to the story being told. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. 
Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 